It is Easter. Happy Easter. It is a big deal. It is not something to just lightly celebrate with chocolate bunnies or whatever that the world celebrates it as, but we celebrate Easter, and today we are going to talk about why. This week I was thinking, I promise this is, I'm going to tie this in, you'll see, there are certain phrases you hear that you know the response to. Like someone says something, you know how to finish it, or it's like a call and response. And so I'm going to prove it to you. Here's one, when people say, how was your day? You know, the only response is good. There's, there's no other response, apparently, that when you say, hey, how was your day? People, oh, it's good, it's good. But, you know, obviously there is other responses. So, But here's another one. Don't judge a book by its all right, on the cover. So I'm going to say these online, try to type them faster, and then I'll say them. Um, so, like, that's one you know, don't judge a book by its cover. All right, it works with movie quotes, too. Even if you've never seen the movie, I'm sure you've heard of these. So, let's see if there's any nerds. With great power comes great responsibility. Yes, thank you, Uncle Ben, for that wisdom. There, here's a throwback one. There's no place like home. Click, click the heels together, whatever it is. I don't know. I couldn't make it through that whole movie. It's super old. Um, but there's no place like home. You know that one. Here's another nerdy one that probably many people know. May the force be with you. Yeah, come on. We know it. Come on, guys. You guys know those are things you hear. You know how to finish them. And if you've ever heard the wonderful wonderful song by Outkast called Hey Ya, you know there's a bit in the song where he it's a call and response. He says, what's cooler than being cool? And if anyone knows this song, you shout, Ice cold. I heard that this week, and it's all I could think of. You know, what's cooler than being cool? Ice cold. One of those things. It's one of those call and responses that, for some reason, we all know them, and we all know how to respond. And today, I'm going to teach you one more. This is one I grew up doing in church, especially on Easter, and I love it. So it goes like this. I say, he is risen. And then some of you might know, you follow up immediately with, he is risen indeed. So that's how it goes. And I'm going to say this a hundred times today. You can count, maybe not a hundred, just pay attention. Every time I say it, you have to comment it. You have to say, he is risen indeed. And I'm going to ask Graham, I'm going to say, Graham, are they commenting it? Because I'm not going to continue unless you respond with, he is risen indeed. So this is how it goes. And I'm going to say, he is risen he is risen indeed, church. Come on. That is what we celebrate today. This is why we gather and celebrate it on Easter in different circumstances, regardless of where we are, how strange we have to gather, whatever it be. He is still risen, church. He is alive, and that is what we are discussing today. We're continuing in our Corinthian series, like we stated, um, with the idea of imperfect church and perfect Savior. And today we are highlighting and focusing and celebrating the perfect Savior. So we're in 1 Corinthians 15 today. You can go ahead and turn there as we continue. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In this chapter, Paul explains the gospel simply and shows us the beauty and the power of the resurrection. He is risen he is risen indeed. Come on, I'm testing y'all. You got to keep with me. You got Graham, are they commenting? Are they commenting? He is risen indeed. Let's get it. All right. 
So it is a presentation of the gospel that showing that he, Christ, has victory over sin and death, and he offers it freely to you and me. So I'm just going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. It'll be on the screen, or you can follow along. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Starting in verse 1, it says, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was not true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though though some have died. Then he was seen by James, later by all the apostles. All right, so we're going to take just those seven verses and we're going to break down. This is the gospel. And so we read in verse 2, he says, this is the good news that saves you. The word gospel, you know, it means good news. In old times, the term good news didn't have to necessarily mean a message of salvation. It didn't have to mean a message about Jesus Christ. It was just, could be said as any good news. But what we know as Christians, the best news, it's not grammatically correct to say the goodest news, but in this terms we'll say the goodest of all the news, the best of all the news is capital good news is what Paul writes about here, is the gospel message. And Paul's gospel explanation here, notice that it is not an insightful teaching or good advice. It's not lofty concepts or big philosophical ideas that oftentimes then they like to sit around and debate and discuss. That is not what Paul's discussing here. At the core of the gospel are things that happened, actual, real, historical events. The gospel isn't a matter of religious opinions or fairy tales. It is about real historical events. It is about what Jesus did. Verse 3, Paul continues. He says, this these, this is the most important thing. These things are the most important. I'm sharing the gospel. These are the most important. Number one, he said Christ died for our sins. Number two, he said he was buried. And the third, he said he rose from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. These are the important things. So we're going to take each three of those and describe, like, this, understand why each plays such a significant role in our understanding of the gospel. So number one, Christ died. The death of Jesus, the Son of God, is the center of the gospel. It might seem weird and foolish to the world to glorify and talk about the death of our Savior, but it is salvation to those who will believe. Not only did Jesus die on the cross, but more importantly, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, as Paul states here. Our sins were responsible for the death of Jesus. That we must understand. Jesus did not die as a mere martyr for a cause. Jesus died specifically for our sins. I want us to define sin so we can truly understand kind of what that is because that word gets thrown out a lot. So I have a few different definitions here that we can just kind of hear and understand. They're not going to be on the screen, so you got to really pay attention. You can write them down. Um, 
So just a simple definition is a wrongdoing or transgression of God's law. Sin includes a failure to do what is right also. But sin also offends people. It is violent, loveless, it is violence and lovelessness towards other people. And ultimately, it's rebellion against God. Further, the Bible teaches that sin involves a condition in which the heart is corrupted and inclined towards evil. So when we talk about sin, keep that in mind. It's us rebelling against God and going against him and his law and his plan. We read in Scripture, in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And we read in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin, what we earn from sin, is death. So this is why it's so important to understand that Jesus not only died, but he died for our sins. Because what we have earned from our rebellion against God is death. At some point before Jesus died, before he breathed out his last breath on the cross, before he cried out, it is finished, a spiritual transaction took place. God took all the wrath and the guilt that we so deserved because of our sin, and he placed it upon Jesus. All the wages, all of our earnings from the sin that we do, he took and placed upon Jesus. And Jesus took it on himself perfectly. Completely satisfying the wrath of God in our place, he paid what we could never pay. As horrible as the physical suffering of Jesus was on the cross and the events that led up to it, the spiritual suffering, taking on of our sin, being judged in our place, taking on the full wrath of God was so much more. This was the cup, the cup of God's righteous wrath that he asked to be taken away when we read the Gospels, especially in Luke. He says, Lord, if you could, could you take this cup of suffering away? This is what Christ is talking about. He took the cup of wrath and suffering that you and I deserve for our sin, and he bared it perfectly. Although Jesus took on the full wrath of God on the cross as if he were a guilty sinner, it's important to know that he himself did not become a sinner. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He became sin who knew no sin, so that we might become his righteousness. So all of our sin was being placed on him as if he was guilty, but it's so crucial to know that he himself remained perfect and blameless. This is the gospel message that Jesus took our punishment for sin on the cross and remained a perfect Savior through it all, proved by his resurrection. So that's the first one. Christ died for our sin. And the next important thing says he was buried. This one might seem simple, but it's extremely important. We don't often think of the burial of Jesus as part of the gospel, but it must be. I'm going to explain to you why. The burial of Jesus is important because it's proof that he actually died. I don't know about you, but we don't bury people that are alive. Um, that's now one of like my worst fears as I started thinking about it this week. Like Anyone else terrified of being buried alive? I watched this terrifying movie about it as a kid where this guy was like stuck like this, and now that's all I can think of. But it's important to know that like, we don't bury people that are, that are alive, especially for more than one day. And roll a giant stone in front of the entrance. So Jesus' death was confirmed on the cross before he was taken down, which we can read in John 19, 31 through 37. 
It's important to understand for Jesus to take on the payment and the price and pay the price of death for us, for our sins, he must, in fact, die. He died on the cross and he was buried. The third thing that's extremely important, we have Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And then this is, this is Easter, y'all. This is what it is. He rose from the dead. Amen. Come on. That is Easter. On the third day, we celebrate Christ. He has risen. He is risen indeed. We're getting there, church. We're getting there. You better be commenting it, or I'm going to come to your house after this, and I'm going to just shout it from your doorstep until you respond to it. The resurrection of Jesus is not some add-on to a more important work on the cross. I read it this way. A pastor put it this way. It really clicked with me this week. Pay attention. It says, if the cross is the payment for our sins, the empty tomb is the receipt. Showing that the perfect son of God made a perfect payment for our sins. The payment itself is little good without a receipt. The empty tomb is the proof of that receipt. It's proof that he has paid our debt in full. Proof that it is finished showing that here is proof. This is a copy of what Christ has done. It is paid in full. The cross was a time of victorious death. And that's like two like words that don't normally go together. It was a negative triumph. Sin was defeated, but nothing positive was put in its place until the resurrection. The resurrection showed that Jesus did not give in to the inevitable result of sin. The resurrection is proof that he truly conquered death. It's proof of the purchase, and here is the receipt, the empty tomb, Jesus rose again. So church, he is risen. He is risen indeed. This is why we gather online. This is why we celebrate of what he has done, of the good news, the payment and the receipt of Christ. And the resurrection matters. I want us to continue to read in verse 14 and 17 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes this. If you don't think the resurrection is important, this is He says, verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. Those are pretty um, bold words. And then verse 17, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. So I want to give an if-then scenario, if this is if this is how it to be. So if there is no resurrection, then Jesus did not rise from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the power of death, then death has power over him and defeated him. If death has power over Jesus, he is not God. If Jesus is not God, he cannot offer a complete sacrifice for our sins. If Jesus cannot offer a complete sacrifice for our sins, our sins are not completely paid before God. If my sins are not completely paid before God, then I am still in my sins, and I will have to take on the full wrath of God and the payment of my sins. Therefore, if Jesus is not risen, he is unable to save. Church, this is the celebration. 
because this is the truth. He did rise from the dead. Death has no power over him. He conquered sin and death. He is God. He was and is a complete sacrifice for our sins, and it is offered to you if you accept and follow him. Your sins are completely paid for and forgiven before God. You have victory in Jesus over sin and death because he is risen. He is risen indeed. That is the victorious message we preach today. And this good news that we read here isn't just for quote-unquote good people. Oftentimes I hear people say things like this, and you might relate to this. I hear people say, you know, I really like what you're saying, but, you know, I'm just not in the right place to get there. Like, I'm not good enough. I need to get my stuff together. I need to stop doing these things, and then maybe I can come to Jesus and he'll accept me. That is so opposite of the truth. And we read in verse 9, Paul calls himself the least of these. This guy who's proclaiming this simple, perfect, amazing gospel message. In verse 9 he says, I am the least of these to deserve. The beauty in that is that I am not worthy of this message. But it's still for me. It's still for you. We are never too far from him. Paul here, literally, he says, I'm the least of these. You can see by what I did in the past. Paul literally killed Christians. He's like, I I have this horrible past. If you think you have a bad past, he's like, no, I'm the least. Like, I killed people for believing and following in Jesus. So trust me, you're not too far from Christ. You're not too far from God because I was the least of these and he still chose me. His grace and mercy is always more for you. He paid our debt while we we were still sinners. So I never have to collect myself and get things right and in order before I can come to him and him forgive my sins. Because while we were still sinners, it says Christ died. We do not have to be something to come to him. It is offered freely to you. Even the least of these Oftentimes we include ourselves in that. We, oh, I'm the least of these. Paul says, I'm the least of these, and Christ took me. He'll take you. I promise you. Because, we read in verse 10, Paul says, everything that I am is because of God. So like any good you see in me is Christ in me. He says that later. It's because Christ poured out his favor on the cross. Because of his favor, it's, not, it's nothing special about me. I'm the least I do nothing to earn it, and it is freely given to you. We can't celebrate Easter. I don't want to celebrate Easter without reading an account of what took place and what we actually celebrate. So I want to read from Mark 15. These will be on your screen, so you'll be able to see them because I'm going to kind of jump around some verses. Um, you can try to follow along if you want. It'll be Mark 15, starting in verse 12. I just want to read these words, and I want us to just rest and, and hear the story of the crucifixion and then hear the triumph of Christ, that the grave has no hold on him. And like that song we just sang, I'm free indeed in Christ. Come on, we're going to read this, let it 
Let's just, just rest in it. It is beauty. Mark 15, starting in verse 12. It says, Pilate asked them, Then what should we do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him! Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, Crucify him! So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees to mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. It's a heavy message. We read the account there's beauty in it. If we continue to verse 33, it says, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice. Bear with me, I'm not very good at this pronunciation. Eloi, Eloi, Lima, Sabachthani. Close which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last breath. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how saw he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the Son of God. Down to verse 45 says, The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. This is a celebration. Come on, church. You, we got to get excited. Starting in chapter 16, verse 1. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath had ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, Siloam went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us to the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they look up and they saw that the stone, which had been very large, was rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robes sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. 
He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell the disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before. That's Easter. This is a story of Jesus, the good news that we just explained. Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He rose on the third day. These women walking to the tomb, they're questioning, they're saying, man, this this rock is way too big. I have no idea how we're going to roll it out. I don't know what we're going to do. And they're probably still sitting in this sadness, thinking that, that's, that he had been defeated, that it was all over, and they get there, they see the stone's gone. I can imagine kind of the questions they're thinking, the doubts they're having, like, who stole Jesus? I'm going to get him. I'm going to, ooh, who stole Jesus? And then they get to there, and they see this man that's all in white, and they're like, something bigger has happened. And he looks at him and said, don't be afraid. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh, it's beautiful. That's exciting. I can't imagine the change of emotion that took place there. And they start thinking, this is what Jesus said was going to happen. He said, in three days, I'll rebuild the temple. And they're like, it's all connecting the dots. And then they start celebrating and praising and worshiping. And I'm sure they run back and tell the disciples and other accounts of their gospel. You can see where the disciples are told. And they rush to the grave to see that he is risen and that he is risen indeed, church. It's the beauty of the gospel and that it's offered freely to you and me today. This is a celebration of Easter. This is why from our couches, from our beds, our living room, as we walk around the city today, whatever it be, that we can celebrate Christ today. That he is still good. That he is still risen from the grave And that is the truth that we proclaim. That is the joy in our hearts. And as we start to close, I want to look at how 1 Corinthians 15 closes. If we look at some of the final verses here, specifically 56 and 57, Paul says this, For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Christ. As we read read in Romans 3.23, sin results in death, but God gives victory. We have victory and new life because he is risen he is risen indeed. Come on, we're going to be saying this all day. Then I'm going to test you next week. Somehow I'm going to sneak it in. If I'm doing the welcome, whatever it is, I'm going to sneak it in and see if anyone's paying attention again. This is what we shout for the rest of our lives. That he is risen. He is risen indeed. Come on, that's it. That's exciting. Sin has no sting and no power in death. Because he has triumphed the grave. And he says it is for you today. No matter where you are, even if you think you're the least of these, it is for you today. Maybe all this is kind of new to you and 
it sounds strange and it's weird and, and you have questions, like we want to answer them. Like whether that be you sending us a message on Facebook or on YouTube or commenting or whatever it be, like reach out to us and we will, we can do it through Zoom. We can do it through Facebook. We can do it. We can grab coffee and walk six feet apart distance and talk about this. Like whatever it be, like we do not want you to just pass by this. If, if you have questions, we want to be people who answer them for you and are there for you. So reach out to us, please, please. This is a powerful, simple, and freeing message. Church, I want us to celebrate this, not only today, not only on Easter, but I want to celebrate this every day for the rest of our lives. It is the joy that fills us, that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen, church. Let's go to him in prayer.